Welcome to Clear and Present. On this podcast, I'm chatting with people I find interesting who are exploring what it's like to exit alcohol culture. I'm Brian Fulcher, and I'm here to learn, be curious, and open. I'm also here to get clear and present, and I'm inviting you to come along for the ride. All right. Hi, Amy. Thanks for being on the first episode of Clear and Present. Hello. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me and congrats on starting a podcast. It's very exciting. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping to have conversations with people about sobriety um, from, you know, a different perspective than maybe what we normally hear um, around sobriety. So um, the first thing I thought of is, of course, um, when we worked together, uh, when you when you offered a session with my uh, colleagues uh, at the at my workplace um, to offer a wellness session to celebrate uh, International Day Against Homophobia, Transphobia, and Biphobia, and uh, and also because it's Pride Month, so I thought, but what better person to talk to about sobriety than you? So I'm just going to introduce you to the listeners. So uh, this is Amy C. Willis, and she's a sobriety and mindset coach who supports women in reclaiming their power and freedom through sobriety. So welcome, Amy. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. And happy yeah. Pride. Thanks. Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny because I was just going to say that in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, or rather, the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabe, Chippewa, Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples is now home to many diverse nations, Inuit and Métis people, Are uh, is where Pride is launching. So tonight they're closing the roads for the downtown core. And uh, usually, um, you know, when I was drinking, this would be a night to kind of get prepped and pumped up for the weekend. So I'm just curious, what are you drinking tonight? Um, nothing terribly fancy, but it is delicious. It is a peach mango sparkling water. Very nice. What about you? I'm just having a regular glass of water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nothing special, but it is kind of interesting, you know, that we talk about drinks as if they are incredibly special when they're full of alcohol. <laughs> yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. Um, so like for pride, like what are the kinds of things that you would have done when you were drinking and what's different now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I first started celebrating pride oh, close to 20 years ago, man. Um, so yeah, in my drinking days, I was out pretty much all day, every day, you know, throughout the weekend and leading up to it, um, out in the nights, I was out late. I was always drinking, often using other substances. Um, I don't know where I got the energy or the time or the funds to do, <laughs> to do pride like that. 
Um, but yeah, it was very fueled by substances. And now I definitely still love going out and doing things. And it does look a lot different, but I honestly can say that I have a lot more fun now because I'm actually present to what I'm doing. I'm actually in conversation and in moments with people and I can fully take in what they're saying and fully take in their experiences and actually remember what was happening the next day, which is a notable difference to how I used to do pride. Um, So yeah, it, you know, it definitely looks different. And I also think age is a factor in that. Like I'm not in my early twenties anymore. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, uh, and, and also, you know, I value sleeping and I value feeling good. And so, you know, doing to my body, what I used to do to my body doesn't really align with those values. Um, yeah. So yeah, things have changed and it's still really fun. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, um, I have to say though, for me, I mean, I've been sober at different periods in my life um, and uh, I've, I've celebrated pride sober in Tokyo, um, but I have not actually had a pride in Toronto um, sober. I've uh, had a longing to be sober um, and, you know, was obviously quite aware of the, the ways that alcohol and other substances affected me um, and that, uh, but it was really hard to extract myself from that culture. I had, I kind of surrounded myself with a lot of people who also drank and used substances. um, And it was a a thing to do at pride. Like, you know um, that's when you really overindulged in things and um, I, I noticed that this year Pride actually had, I just popped onto the website before calling you and on the first tab on the Pride Toronto website, there's a harm reduction tab, which um, I'm like, wow, that's the first time I've seen something like that for Pride. Um, mm-hmm. The focus is really, you know, like the Noxlone kits, safe sex, sharps and injection and fentanyl, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. It's like, and, and they've, they've got uh, harm reduction people who are going to be roaming around the festival, which I think is great, great first step. Um, but kind of, I don't know, like, you've got this, but yet didn't you say something about like the pride sponsorships for alcohol have increased this year? (laughs) Yeah, yes, they absolutely have. So I wrote an article last year about um, substance use in the 2S LGBTQ plus community and how it exists at higher rates. And, you know, I talked in great detail about that. And as someone who lives in Toronto, I, you know, stay tuned into what Pride Toronto is doing. Um, And yeah, one, I think the harm reduction piece is excellent. And two, I find it very ironic that it coexists alongside this year, eight sponsorships from alcohol companies up from six last year. So it's interesting, Mm -hmm. like, obviously, they're thinking about it. But I think Mm -hmm. the fact that there isn't the same level of mindfulness around alcohol just speaks to 
normative alcohol culture and how you know alcohol is largely presented as a harmless substance yeah Um, it's everywhere the majority of folks consume it and so you know we don't we don't have real honest conversations about the risks and harms that go along with with consuming alcohol so it's this is all very interesting this is the first time I'm seeing this harm reduction page Mm -hmm. um so I think it's great and I think it's a step in the right direction and I would be very interested in talking to the folks behind this and actually integrating something around alcohol consumption as well yeah because they have a sober ambassador this year too which I was surprised about as well and I thought you know in the past when I've been you know, at pride events, I've kind of walked by sober spaces. They just never looked very appealing. They weren't very well populated. They were separated from the rest of the festival events. And they looked mostly like younger people. And so Mm -hmm. I just really didn't feel like, wow, that that was the alternative for me, if I were sober in um, the pride celebration. So this year is actually the first time I'm going to be Uh, participating in Toronto Pride Celebration Sober. But uh, I want to pick up on what you said, like this idea of like alcohol being a harmless substance. Like I was on my Peloton the other day and there's a really fun Peloton instructor who's, you know, really sassy and- um, Cody? Yeah, Cody, (laughs) yeah. And I thought, uh, you know, I was like, oh, I should take a- take a ride with Cody because it's, you know, pride and it, it'll be a good laugh. But this particular ride, I was, I was so, uh, I don't want to use the word triggered, but I felt like nausea because he was describing, uh, you know, the overindulgence in pride and how he was making a big joke about friends uh, throwing up in a taxi and that he had to clean it up. And, but at the same breath, he's talking about like having a beverage, you know, an alcoholic beverage and that this is all a part of and acceptable celebrations, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the queer community and for pride and like, you know, that the festival is that's just so integrated and the idea that, you know, alcohol is, harmless Mm -hmm. so like I wanted to ask you like you know have you been doing some thinking about this Uh, you know why in our queer community um, alcohol is is basically presented this way and why there's you know it's so used so much in in our community Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yes. I mean, I definitely think a lot about it um, as like a queer person and as a sober person. Um, I mean, I am proud of both of those parts of my identity. And I am also deeply protective of sober folks and of queer folks. And so this topic in particular really gets me hot under the collar. Um, so, I mean, I think a few things are happening in terms of why there are, you know, higher rates of substance use issues in the queer community compared to straight folks. So, in um, I wrote another article this year, um, which you know about, mm-hmm. and <laughs> within that article, 
um, I dropped a statistic, which is, you know, between 20 and 30% of the queer community, like self identifies as having issues with substances, compared to 9% of the cishet population. So that's a notable Whoa. difference. Yeah, that's a, a notable difference. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I think a few things are happening here. So one, um, queer folks, generally speaking, endure a lot more trauma. So whether it's like microaggressions, like having somebody misgender you or use the wrong pronouns um, or, you know, bigger things like discrimination in your employment or in your job or bigger things than that, like um, being rejected by your family of origin, being kicked out of your religious community, um, all of these things are lived experiences that a lot of us have had to endure. And so, you know, when you take all of those traumas and you couple them with, um, you know, additional stressors, just like living in a very heterosexual, very heteronormative world where we are othered and we are made to feel like there's something inherently wrong with us for being mm. who we are, that takes a toll, right? That mm -hmm. takes a toll. And so, you know, in addition to leaning on substances, we also, a lot of us have concurrent mental health issues, specifically higher rates of anxiety, higher rates of depression, um, and, you know, things like suicidal ideation and suicide attempts. And that's especially true for folks who identify as trans. And so all of that is going on, but then parallel to that, when we look at the history of bar spaces um, in queer communities, they have historically served as safe spaces and mm. as havens for yeah. those of us within the community. So whether it's like a temporary reprieve from closeted living or homophobic or transphobic discrimination and abuse, like when you step into a queer bar, you feel like you can fully express yourself. Yeah, you Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Without mm -hmm. any fear of consequence, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's like we have we have that safe space, but also it's a bar, so there's alcohol there. And so I think what happens for a lot of us, and this was certainly true for me, is alcohol and the bar space and bar culture becomes linked to queer culture, to our sense of self, to our sense of safety, to our sense of identity. And when, you know, you're already dealing with the shit that the outside world drops on you as a queer person, and maybe you've been kicked out of your family of origin, like that's my mm -hmm. experience, mm -hmm. um, you know, or rejected. Maybe, yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Um, and then, you know, maybe not great coping skills, and you're just kind of like coming into drinking age. And then you're in this safe space that feels really good and also happens to have an abundance of this highly addictive, super toxic substance. Like mm. it's kind of a recipe for disaster. Yeah. And we can see, we can see the, the outcome of that. Um, in, you know, the number of folks who struggle with substance use and addiction issues in our community. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So I want to pick up on something that you said. So like the, 
you know, like just being a queer person and uh, coping with the, you know, the pressures around feeling like there's something inherently wrong with us, like that mm-hmm. idea that, you know, uh, not everybody feels this, but I think that, that that's, you know, certainly an experience for people um, coming out in maybe not so friendly environments um, where, yeah, you can't help but feel like there's something wrong because what you're mm-hmm. seeing is this heterosexual environment. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, certainly been my experience, but that's also been my experience getting sober mm-hmm. um, several times where, you know, I, there's this culture that is so soaked in alcohol and everybody's telling me, oh, there's nothing wrong with this. It's like, you know, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's totally safe, totally harmless. And if you get into trouble, there's something inherently wrong with you. And then you look at, okay, so wait a second. There's something wrong with me. If I'm queer, there's something wrong with me. If I'm like starting to really need this substance more and more or crave it more and more, or it becomes like a center stage in everything that I do, uh, mm-hmm. whether I'm feeling down or whether I want to celebrate or whether I'm like feeling sad or angry or whatever, right? Like um, I'm sure you you can relate to these, but um, but there's also too like the treatment environment, right? The treatment environment also seems to have this uh, same message where um, you know there's there's something wrong with you, not mm-hmm. with the substance, not with the culture. Like, what's your, what's your take on that? Like, has that been your experience personally um, as a queer person? Like, has that like compounded things for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that that's a really interesting um, parallel. So as like a queer person, I can definitely remember times feeling like, I am very different. I do not fit in wherever I go um, and Mm -hmm. I can't find my people. And that's like a big part of the reason that I left the city that I was born in because I felt like I was drowning. And Mm -hmm. when I got to Toronto where I've been living for almost 20 years, it just felt like a breath of fresh air. And I was like, oh, I can actually just be all of myself here. So I definitely remember those feelings being, you know, associated with the coming out process and getting super clear on being, you know, a dyke. Um, But yeah, and, and I actually remember similar experiences before getting sober, but just thinking like, why am I struggling with this? I look around and I see other people who also drink, but they are kind of like, take it or leave it. Um, and you had friends like that. (laughs) Yeah, I did. I had a lot of friends like that. Um, like we would go out to dinner and, you know, five friends would split a bottle of wine and I would have two bottles to myself. And I'm like, Hmm. wait, one of these things is not like the other. Right. And Um, yeah. And I did, I had moments where I was like, what the, like, why, what is wrong with me that I can't figure this out? And, Mm. you know, starting to think about my relationship to alcohol differently and, 
and realizing that maybe there was actually more of an issue than I thought because I would try to quit and it didn't really go very smoothly and I would end up back where I started. Um, and yeah, just thinking like, why, why can't I figure this out? And I think that if I may just add something, I think mm -hmm. that part of that is um, the messaging that we get from big alcohol, like all the drink responsibly messaging like that. Mm. I, I think um, entirely hoists like all the responsibility onto the person who's drinking mm -hmm. and places zero responsibility on the fact that, again, this is like a very addictive very toxic substance. And we're frankly not even given all the information about it to make an informed decision. Yes. Own like risk, like right? breast cancer. Yep. Like, oh, yep. <laughs> yeah. And so it's just like, and I think that that's very intentional that drink responsibly message is very intentional and it does perpetuate that, that um, the end result of like, well, if you have a problem with it, that's your problem. The problem mm -hmm. is not with alcohol when in fact the opposite couldn't be more true. Yeah. Like I'm yeah. thinking of your friends who, you know, were happily splitting that bottle. And in my mind, like I, I remember watching the, the film risky drinking and it hit home for me so solidly when I was watching like the that it, it it explained drinking as like this continuum and you, mm -hmm. no matter who you are once you start drinking you're you enter onto this risky continuum and even if you know you're giving you know taking it or leaving it or whatever and you're splitting a bottle with five people that could change because you're on the continuum once you start taking an addictive substance so yeah like we're more at risk because we've got all these other layers of stuff that, that, you know, um, you know, contribute to our, well, I mean, maybe I should just talk about myself. So like, um, I, I think, you know, I was more at risk because of the amount of trauma that I experienced in my life and uh, yeah. And feeling different. And it's not easy to live in a world feeling different than you know the heteronormative uh you know world and like you know uh, uh, and there are layers that I don't have to cope with like I'm white and you know um I'm lucky enough to have a good education and I make a, a pretty good wage those kinds of things so mm -hmm. like if I'm having trouble <laughs> you know then can you imagine if you added even more layers on top of that but the risky drinking thing to me was like yeah it's like anybody who drinks jumps on that continuum and if they experience trauma or something that pushes them into the you know higher risk zones anybody could go there there's nothing inherently different about that person who's on that continuum um you know that that they could very much be like pushed into the higher risk drinking zones and then if you start drinking at a higher risk it actually starts changing your brain structure um and you know it's not like you started with a brain 
maybe that, you know, I'm not sure about that one. I think there's lots of interesting research out there um, around like the susceptibility of our brains to different substances. But if you just started with this normal brain um, and you're drinking and then something happens in your life, or, you know, maybe you do like, you know, experience um, big change in your life and you don't have your uh, your regular go-to coping mechanisms, those kinds of things, you can easily slip into the danger zone. And I feel like the narrative is always about the people who are in, you know, the high risk or death zone where, you know, they're drinking every day, they're stashing bottles, they're, you know, they're the, they're the ones that people think of when they think of the term alcoholic. And it, it, um, it makes me angry that that is the only way we're talking about this. And, mm-hmm. um, and that, you know, pride in particular is a place that just is celebrating this when you get to Sunday uh, on a pride weekend, everybody is just so broken mm-hmm. <laughs> because they've been consuming alcohol at great amounts all weekend and probably other things. But anyway, I just wanted to get your opinion and your take on that idea that there's something you know different about people who, um, uh, you know, um, uh, get into trouble um, with, substances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I don't actually, I don't actually subscribe to that idea. I think, I think broadly, we have a very narrow understanding and very narrow narrative really in terms of how we talk about addiction and substance use. Um, the whole concept of like, um, normal drinkers or normies and quote unquote alcoholics is something that came out of AA, mm-hmm. which, you know, as you know, is a very dated yet very uh, well-known and prolific recovery model. So yeah, it hasn't changed in what, a hundred years? Yeah. So it's, it was created in 1935 and it does remain largely unchanged despite yeah. the fact that the world has changed significantly. Yeah. And different um, people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I actually, I don't subscribe to that because I think that that actually continues to hoist the responsibility back onto the individual rather than placing like like calling alcohol what it is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and actually saying like this this substance is a problem and it can be a problem for anyone. And what's tricky about that is we often don't know before we start to engage with it that it, it may end up being an issue for us. Like I started mm-hmm. drinking when I was 16. Mm-hmm. I don't know about, you know, when you started, but like yeah. when I, I started, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say I started I think I was about 12. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When I started drinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is like bonkers young. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, 
I'm not sure if you're familiar familiar with ACEs. It's, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So for those who maybe aren't familiar, it is an assessment used for children who have experienced traumatic events essentially in their lives. And mm-hmm. for me, it's like, I didn't know I had an ACEs score of six when I started and it's out of 10 for anybody yeah. who's not familiar, but um I didn't know that when I started drinking at 16, right? I didn't know that I had all this like trauma on trauma on trauma and that Mm -hmm. I was using this thing to cope with my life and what was happening. Um, I had also grown up in a house with a parent who had a very severe alcohol addiction. So like I had a lot of early exposure to substances and just having it constantly in my environment. And, you know, all of those things really factor into one's propensity to later on develop an addiction. And I think when we place all the responsibility or focus the entire conversation around drinking responsibly or, you know, whatever like bullshit marketing tool is being used that week, um, I think that it doesn't create space for having important conversations like this one, like where we actually say like, here are all the things that factor into addiction. And like, we need to be talking about these things and we need to be healing these things. And when you throw a really addictive substance in the mix of it, you're bound to run into problems. And it's not about blaming the person because nobody asks for trauma, right? Nobody Mm -hmm. invites trauma into their lives. Um, If you happen to have, I don't know, other mental health things going on, like that also factors into it. And so it's just like, we need to know these things about ourselves so we can actually do something about it. And when we're not even having these important conversations, we just keep cycling through the same thing of like normal drinkers versus alcoholic drinkers. And it's just like, this is such a dated model. And one, I don't think it's working for us. And two, it's not actually helping. Like it's not actually helping us. I think we need a lot more nuance to the conversation um, so that we can support healing. Yeah. And not only that, but just the whole, I mean, even just addressing this idea of pleasure, like that the substance creates pleasure. And so that's one of the reasons why people have such a hard time quitting. And that's, you know, I've talked to, you know, my friends who I would used to hang out with all the time who were very heavy drinkers. And they would look at me like, how did you do it? Like, how did you quit? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think I, you know, had to dismantle all the things that I attached to it. The idea that it gave me pleasure. Like Mm -hmm. when I started to really understand what it did to my body, like, you know, when we're talking about the Sunday of pride where everybody's just wrecked, it's Uh because it like, it really like damages your body. Like, even if you don't have a high A score, score, and even if you don't have trauma, it actually just really harms your body in such Uh a Uh, a dramatic way. And the idea of like celebration by using a substance that is so harmful, Uh not just like for the socio kind of impact of it, but actual physical harm. I I mean, why are we, why are we doing this? I just wanted to like, before we end our conversation to kind of talk about like, 
who's to blame for this current problem and how can we fix it? Any ideas? (laughs) (laughs) We've only got about five minutes or so left, (laughs) but like, I just wanted to, to ask what, what are your thoughts? I, 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 um, yeah. And I would like to hear your thoughts on this too. Cause like capitalism, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like capitalism is part of it. Um, the patriarchy is part of it. White mm. supremacy is part of it. Mm-hmm. Big alcohol is part of it. Like, um, big alcohol largely fueled by capitalism. Like they operate in predatory ways, like even just grounding this example in, pride and queer folks like the eight alcohol companies who are you know sponsoring portions of pride are Mm. not there because they love us and because they are celebrating us and they want us to thrive and like live our best lives yeah because we drink a lot and then they stand to make a lot of money from it um So I think, you know, there are a lot of different factors at play. Um, But uh, yeah, I would say like big alcohol is part of it. Normative alcohol is part of it or normative alcohol culture, which is like all the different ways that we talk about it and think about it and, you know, how it shows up in TV, TV shows and movies. Oh, yeah. Like it's everywhere, right? Yeah. Like Frankie and Grace, like I just drove me like I, I could not watch that show when I started getting sober because they are like these older women who are just drinking up a storm and not experiencing any consequences. Mm-hmm. Like nobody's like hurting and like hung over for three days. Like what? <laughs> yeah. 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 Not exactly the most realistic portrayal of what heavy drinking looks like or yeah. even binge drinking. What yeah. do you think though? Like, what do you think? How did we get here? <laughs> well, yeah. How did we get here? I mean, I think it's because we have, we're living in a culture in a society that is really broken. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, we don't know how to support each other in a way that um, is truly healthy. Like looking at, you know, um, our, our work ethic culture and, you know, even our, the way that we've dealt with COVID and how, uh, you know, more vulnerable people have just been left to like, you know, figure it out for themselves. And it, mm-hmm. it, this is kind of a theme, right. And this idea mm-hmm. that, you know, the, the rugged individual person is going to make their way through the world. And we've bought this whole story of like, well, you just have to, you know, pursue your dreams and uh, work your hardest and everything's going to turn out okay for you. Um, Like, I think that that is a part of it. But I also think just, I really want to see changing the conversation, like Mm -hmm. to talk about use, like to have people talk about use with their friends before it becomes an actual harmful issue that's causing anxiety and depression that could result in suicide, you know, or other mental health issues or cancer, you know, Mm -hmm. like that sort of thing. Like, I just really want to like break down that stigma and say, guess what? We can talk about it at any point, um, Mm -hmm. at any time with anyone's drinking. And Mm -hmm. you don't have to say you have a problem. 
You don't have to say, like, we can say alcohol is a problem, yeah. right? Like what happened yeah. with cigarettes? Like suddenly, you know, went from doctors recommending, you know, this brand of cigarettes to like changing the packaging to canceling all the advertising to hiding it behind closed, you know, cabinets and people don't smoke anymore. And everybody's attitude has changed about it. I mean, I'd love to see that change with alcohol. I'm really excited about the alcohol-free industry that's kind of like, you know, coming up and Mm -hmm. uh, how people are looking at that as being like, you know, celebratory and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, before we end though, because we've only got a few more minutes left, I just wanted to um uh, ask you um, about some of the ways that you have recommended um, people approach, um, you know, talking about alcohol. And we just have, sorry, we only have about two minutes left. Okay, all good. Um, yeah, I mean, I think conversations like this are a really great starting point. Um, you know, in addition to like my coaching work, Um, I do a lot of writing and I try to really also change the conversation through writing and through speaking and through, you know, going on people's podcasts. But I think, you know, just for like the average person who maybe isn't even sober, but is maybe thinking about it or just thinking about the role that alcohol plays in their lives, um, I think curiosity is a really helpful starting point. Yeah, stay curious. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, even if you don't want to tackle like, you know, big alcohol and all their wildly problematic messaging and marketing tactics and all of that stuff, like just questions like, do I like how this thing makes me feel? Mm. And does this thing actually serve me? Like, does it propel me forward in my life? Does it maybe hold me back in some ways? Mm -hmm. What is it actually doing for me? What is, what am I hoping it will do for me? And does it deliver on those things? Is it taking center stage? (laughs) Yeah. 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 Like how much time and space and energy does this thing actually take up? And do I want that? Um, I think, I think the most powerful thing that we can all do is just get curious about the role that this thing plays in our lives. And like, if we actually want that. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Amy. This conversation has been uh, just great. We've covered a lot of ground. I wish we had time to cover more ground. Uh, Maybe we can talk about this again in another episode. I would love that. Thank you so much for having me and congrats again. I'm very excited for you. Thanks. I'm going to also add a bunch of your information in the uh, show notes as well. So happy pride. Thank you. Happy pride to you. And maybe I'll see you around on the streets. Hope so. (laughs) Okay. Sounds good. All right. Take care. Bye. You too. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can find links and more info about this episode on the show notes. If you enjoyed the episode, subscribe, rate, and review. And give me a follow on social. I'm at Clear and Present on Instagram.